What are the cultural origins of the Russian disinformation and propaganda? Don't they have roots in the deep mistrust to the empirical truth present in the Russian intellectual tradition? Can we explain the functioning of the Russian disinformation machine today with this profound mistrust to facts? You're listening to the Explaining Ukraine podcast. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Vladimir Yermolenko. I'm a Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My co-host is Tetyana Harkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine. Before we start, let me remind you that you can support us on patreon.com slash ukraineworld. We devote majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and people affected by this war. Patreon.com slash ukraineworld. So, Tanya, we are making this podcast uh, during the uh, very specific events in, in this history of the current war, when Russia organized the fake referenda on the occupied territories. And uh, this is not even the kind of uh, fake referenda, I would even call it fake of the fake, because... The fake referenda war in 2014, when they were held in Crimea and then in occupied territories in eastern Ukraine. But at least Russians try to imitate some of the procedures. Now they don't even do that. And uh, let us let us just explain to our audience what are these so-called referenda and, and go deeper in, in, in history and culture and try to understand why Russians... Why Russians love everything which is fake, everything which is illusion? Maybe this has to do with some very deep cultural origins. Yes, indeed. I think there could be, there should be some some deeper roots of this um, effect now. Because what we see, I think we we observe a kind of a war against reality, which Russia started um, in recent days. Because they, it's no more a war against Ukraine. It's no more a war against Nazis in Ukraine. It's even not war against Europe or United States or whatever. It's war against reality. Uh, they are trying to claim the territory that they cannot uh, conquer military in a military way. They are trying to to name it Russian just because they want. So they are trying to make war against facts, against reality. Let's remind our listeners that the Russian troops they do not control all the territories of these uh, four regions, uh, not in Donetsk, where they control on, only half of the region. In Lugansk, uh, there is a place for Ukrainian counteroffensive. In Kherson as well, in Zaporizhia, they even don't control the center of this region. And we understand that uh, a lot of people left these territories. And this is not at all about, about uh, real uh, referenda, about real people, but... The most importantly is that they just don't care. They just don't care and they understand maybe that everybody understands that Russia is lying, that they are trying to invent something, claim it's Russian, but uh, they just don't care even if they understand that we understand that they are lying. So um, this is a kind of a 
big rebellion, but this is not against, uh, it's in, in partly maybe against rules, but I would say roughly this is against reality. They're trying to deny reality. So this is the war on reality, and I think this is a very, very good formula. And uh, you, uh, in 2014, you launched a concept in the Ukrainian cultural information space, surterrorism. Russia as a, as a country of surterrorism. Of course, this is a reference to surrealism, a famous art cultural practice, uh, mostly in France in 1920s, uh, partially in 1930s as well. But the, this practice was claiming that the image, the imagination has a uh, m- uh, kind of, uh, well, as the French say, primauté, the 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 primacy over the reality. And uh, you were claiming that basically the terrorist practice is also in a way surrealist because the, the, the goal of the terrorist is to win over the reality, to frighten people. Yes, and in, in Russian culture, we have an, an interesting collision uh, of these two realities. This terrorist practice, which, which, is, which is trying to seed uh, uh, fear, and uh, this primacy of the imagination over the reality. Yes, exactly. Why this is surrealistic? Because what terrorists uh, do? They uh, act as terrorists not because they are strong, but exactly because they are weak. They cannot achieve their objectives by other means. That's why they're trying to create this horror around them. Uh, In terrorist attacks, we do know that not a lot of people, if we take statistics, uh, much more people die in car accidents and any other cases, uh, illness, whatever. But people, they are afraid of terrorists because this is a kind of a show. You kill uh, few, but crowds are afraid of you. So this is a technique of uh, terrorists. And uh, there was a very good observation made by Walter Benjamin more than one century ago. He said that uh, the spread of terrorist acts um, became higher when um, printed press was invented. So uh, when you have a message, so ter- terrorist, act, ter- terrorist act is all, always a message and an action. It's not only an action, it's also a message sent to, I don't know, to everybody, to crowds of people. And what Russia did, starting from 2014, when they captured Crimea and more specifically when they captured uh, just a tiny part of the Donetsk and Lugansk region, because we remember that Ukrainians were able to reconquer a bigger part of that to to sort of part of of the of what Russians wanted at that moment. They were not wanting to control this territory. I I don't know Gorlivka or Debaltseve just for themselves. They wanted that like a, like a sign, like to show their strength. But the problem was in 2014, and it, now it it is evident, should be evident for everybody. Russia is weak. They cannot take Kyiv. They cannot control Ukraine. They have no mm, real strong arguments when they're facing NATO countries or United States. But they're still counting on this force of imagination to make people be being afraid. Like when they are talking about nuclear threats, 
this the major message is not that we are capable that, that that we will strike but that we are capable to strike so you are here to be afraid of us we are really mm, mad and we can do whatever we want so this is against the any rational rational arguments and and real force real strength so this is about they trying to explore the forces of imagination to make everybody uh, follow the game i think you're absolutely right when you were saying when you were describing this referenda the fake referenda as uh, russians uh, don't really care if we believe them or not they know they are lying they know we know that they know they are lying and uh, this is the reality in which basically truth doesn't matter what matters is force what matter what matters is a certain capacity willingness to go despite all the hurdles all the all all the obstacles but let us just recall the reality that indeed uh, how you can call it a referenda when for example in Kherson Oblast half of the population has gone to the Ukraine controlled territories and maybe one third or something has gone through Crimea or through Russia and stay with in Russia or went to other countries and in towns cities in Luhansk Oblast like Severodonetsk 90% of the citizens have gone so how how can you even imagine to organize uh, some referenda on the territory where the majority of population have go- has gone and obviously the second issue is that no procedures can be observed no international observers can come uh, the voting is organized primarily on homes in homes not in, in centralized uh, units people are going with with the guns uh, to these homes and just force people maybe to vote or something. So this is just an incredible uh, revolt against reality and, and against the truth. And uh, Russians are very keen on that. So this is the origins of all the Russian propaganda and disinformation. But let's try to dig deeper culturally and understand whether there are real cultural cultural. Uh, cultural origins of that. What strikes me is why uh, uh, in, in Russia there is no genuine journalism, for example, and there is no demand for genuine journalism. Why there is no demand for genuine science? Because you can also say that this operation has been done also on the based upon the illusion. And uh, Putin was not believing all those people who were basing on facts and saying that it would be extremely difficult to take Ukraine in two days. So it's all Russia is also in a in a trap of its own disinformation of its own propaganda. I would say that I would call that uh, this um, call it the metaphysical nature of the Ukrainian culture. They are against Russian culture. Russian culture. They are against physics. So when they were claiming that they are they were able to capture Ukraine in three days, this was against uh, physical laws and uh, against uh, mathematics, maybe against uh, against reality. Um, we we do understand that during centuries, Russia never respected borders. Uh, we already discussed this issue in one of our previous podcasts a couple of months ago already. Uh, they don't have uh, this notion of the limit of the border, of the physical reality. They are trying to go beyond any reality. And this might be 
their strengths, but what we see now, this is their weakness because um, they are trying to, to make us believe they are strong. But in fact, and maybe partially they do believe themselves that they are. And when, for example, we observe this mobilization process now and we see many, many videos with people um, with their ammunition, uh, very old one, with all these uh, problems, they don't have clothes, as though they don't have ammunition, they will be using, uh, I don't know, tampaxes to, 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 to treat their wounds, all these ridiculous things. It means that they, uh, Russia pretends to be big, and strong, but in fact, this is about imaginations once again. This is about kind of metaphysical idea of this great Russia, and look how people react. Uh, a lot of people in Russia are sincerely convinced that they can, their country is big, strong, and invincible, and it could be never, it will be always a winner. Despite the, the fact that this special, for example, military operation is already a failure in a way. It's not complete failure at that moment, but they are moving in a very bad direction already. Uh, but it seems that they live by trying to make others believe their illusions the trap is that they start to believe it themselves. And I, I bet there are millions of Russians inside Russia who are quite sincere when they say that we are living in the best country, the best world in of all the worlds possible. And they, are, uh, they, they, they do believe that. And this is a trap. This is a real trap. Because when you start to believe what, you, what is not true, but when, you, when you lose this connection with the reality... You are, you are lost. That's very interesting uh, that you mentioned this word metaphysics. And uh, we have nothing against metaphysics as, as philosophers. Actually, I think personally that metaphysics is a fantastic thing and very interesting, very interesting part of the uh, European cultural heritage. And that this criticism of metaphysics, which happened in the 20th century, from Nietzsche through Heidegger to Derrida, uh, I think we should be very critical to this criticism. But what, what you are talking about is rather um, uh, a different thing uh, because uh, you, you call it very interestingly metaphysics mm -hmm. against physics. So I would, I would even call it antiphysics. So Russians are not metaphysics uh, but antiphysics, antiphysical. Mm -hmm. Pataphysics? What do, what do you mean? Well, uh, I can develop here. There is also a term of pataphysics invented by French writer uh, Alfred Jarry in the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century. Extremely interesting author. He wrote theoretical plays about Ubu, the king, and uh, then uh, another play about uh, Ubu enchained. Uh, and uh, uh, French surrealist André Breton was talking about two political figures there. One was Stalinist and another was uh, fascist. And in a way, so it's just an idea, I got it right now when talking to you, in a way Putin, he looks like Ubu the king now because it's somebody who goes against any rules, who is ridiculous in his, his cruelty, who is, uh, by the way, uh, the action takes place in Poland, 
so as very not not nowhere no no nobody cares somewhere in Poland so and it's about conquer how how the his army tries to conquer Poland and all that stuff and pataphysics it's about uh, uh, his reasoning is that uh, um Metaphysics is something which goes beyond physics, and pataphysics is some something that goes beyond metaphysics, like something humorous, science, by the way, like absurd developments. But uh, do read Alfred Jarry uh, and his uh, theoretical place about Ubu. Maybe we'll, we could easily find some uh, interesting parallels with what's going on now politically and military with Russia. Yeah, but I think it's it's too uh, kind of too too much honor too too much honor to the Russian regime right now to compare it with Alfred Jarry. But uh, the interesting thing I think let, let's let's uh, turn it again. So metaphysics is of course a, an idea that you develop a physics, you develop the study of nature. This is what Aristoteles did, and then. Uh, uh, above that or beyond that, you develop something else. You develop a, a science of the uh, non-visible, I would say, right? Uh, the Russian political and cultural tradition is different. The Russian uh, uh, pol- uh, cultural tradition was denying the very importance of the physical world. And this is very, very, very important thing. Let's just look in the 19th century. Uh, in the 19th century, uh, two major currents of the Russian political thought the Slavianophili, the Zapadniki, the Slavophils, and the Westernizers. Well, there were kind of, of course, there was a clash between them, but even the Westernizers were, in a sense, metaphysics, metaphysical, materialist, but metaphysical. They were believing in some apocalyptic idea of the world revolution or whatever, from Herzen until Plekhanov and, and Lenin and, and the Bolsheviks. And of course, the Slavophiles were developing an idea that Russia is an alternative to Europe, to the Western world, because the Western world is bourgeois, materialist, uh, pity, uh, pity bourgeois, and Russia is developing the spirituality, which the the Western world lacks. And this is, of course, the story which uh, which is alive even today, if we look at, at the Russian ideologists. And it's interesting that in Russian uh, intellectual philosophical pantheon of the 19th century, I don't really see people who would stand upon the rationalistic uh, or scientific uh, scientific foundations. So the key philosophers like Vladimir Solovyov, uh, who is unfortunately the um, uh, has the same name as the one of the most notorious Russian propagandists today, Vladimir Solovyov. Vladimir Solovyov was was developing this anti-scientific, anti-positivist idea. He was criticizing Auguste Comte, uh, the very idea of this 19th-century positivism uh, of uh, in France primarily, which was saying that the facts are the most important things that you should develop in universal science, whatever. Then, uh, already in the early 20th century, people like Vladimir Ern, who were really criticizing this German spirit and saying that Ern has this article from Kant to Krupp, uh, saying that there is a, a line from Kant's philosophy of enlightenment to this uh, industrial, uh, German industrial, industri- industrial in which was uh, creating this kind of ugly image of the, of the German uh, German Empire. 
uh, highly industrialized and highly militarized, right? Then you have many. Then you have this religious turn in the early twentieth uh, century when philosophers who were earlier leftists turned into the orthodoxy, and they become orthodox philosophers like Bulgakov, Berdyaev, and many many others. And they were also kind of developing the skepticism with regard to uh, to modern science. Interestingly, in the Ukrainian political pantheon of the of intellectual pantheon of the nineteenth century, you have scientists and who were at the same time writers like Drahomanov or Franco or this pantheon of people who established the Ukrainian Academy of Sciences. So in Ukraine, uh, there was this uh, willingness to find a compromise between rationality and irrationality. In Russia, I would say this was always one of the leitmotifs that rationality, science is something very bad and something which is denigrating human soul, and we should rather seek for something spiritual. Yes, exactly. In a way, uh, I think uh, we would not be mistaken if we say that all the universal science was uh, imported into Russia, in a way. So they accepted it without uh, uh, inventing it, and without developing it, and without being a value in Russian society. And for example, now what we see with sanctions, when all high technologies are prohibited for for, in, for import to you to Russia, they do suffer because they are unable to uh, to create uh, quite a number of things they need even now to produce, to continue to produce their weapons, uh, even that. Um, and I do remember um, that in Soviet times, for example, there were always this expression of the Russian science or Soviet science, which would be different in a way from a universal science. So this kind to find to find something particular in a national science, which is should be impossible because there is a universal science. I mean, when when it comes to real science, this doesn't matter which language do you speak and or write. So this is about some universal. Um, uh, things, but in Russia it was always a trend to create something different, an alternative. So they were trying to to create a kind of alternative to the Western world. And uh, as our friend Vachtan Kibuladze told, uh, he found one day a very happy formula uh, and very true one. Um, he was speaking about Russia as a as about uh, shadow shadow of civilization, in a way that they were not inventing a, or p- p- producing kind of an alternative model. They were trying to make a shadow of what they've seen in somewhere somewhere in Europe, somewhere elsewhere, etc. And they were not creating their own. So this is about. Uh, about their willingness to deny. Uh, what exists, deny science, deny facts, deny reality, to, to, to say that this is, this is boring to live in a reality. Indeed, and this, uh, this is a very interesting phenomenon and uh, interesting symptom. And uh, we will try to dig deeper into that in, in, in the last part of this podcast, which will be a, an exclusive part for our patrons. So if you want to listen uh, to some more 15 minutes of the conversation about these deep cultural roots of the Russian mistrust of facts and mistrust reality, you can become our patron at patreon.com slash Ukraine world. 
let me remind you that we devote the majority of your donations to help Ukrainian defenders and to help people affected by this war. Those of you who are not our patrons, this was a podcast explaining Ukraine by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the oldest and largest Ukrainian media NGOs. My name is Vladimir Yermolonko, I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, and my co-host is Tetyana Oharkova, who is in charge of international outreach at Ukraine Crisis Media Center. Share our podcast, advise them to your friends and colleagues. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine. Thank you.